And so I just want to encourage, man, anyone that is listening and thinks, that's cool, Jamie, but you don't know. You just don't know, you know, um, is that the, the truth is I don't know. We've never met, but God knows. And God is in the business of using everyone, everyone, whether you have the quote unquote easiest, most perfect life you've ever seen, or you think, man, I have been through the ringer. God is like, you know what? I'm going to use you to do such good things for the world because people will see me through your story. This is Words to Live By, a podcast that serves the purpose to help you supercharge your relationships with God, others, and yourself. I'm Michael Gibson, and on this week's show, Dad and I are so excited to welcome our friend Jamie Ivey to the podcast. Jamie has an amazing new book out called If You Only Knew. So if you struggle with opening up to your family, friends, spouse, or significant other, then this is the show for you. Stay tuned. So I'm a fan of our guest today. Being a podcaster, you can't help but take a glance once in a while at the top charts on iTunes to see if by a small miracle, you'd see your show on the top 100 list. While that hasn't happened yet for words to live by, our guest today is a resident on the top five most listened to podcast list. Jamie Ivey is a world-class communicator and her podcast, The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey, is listened to all over the world by hundreds and thousands of people. And most recently, she can add author to her resume. I love Jamie's new book, If You Only Knew, and I can't wait for you to hear her thoughts on the power of opening up to the people in our lives. And here she is now, Jamie Ivey. Yeah, you guys, thanks for having me. It's super fun to be on your show today. Uh, My name is Jamie Ivey, and I live in Austin, Texas, which, you know, us Texas people, we think that There's no other state in America besides Texas. (laughs) Um, I won't go that far, but man, we love our city. So we live in Austin. We've been here almost 10 years. And my husband, Aaron, we've been married almost 17 years. He is a worship pastor here at a church, the Austin Stone Community Church. And we have four kids. Our oldest is 14 and our youngest is 10. And I've had a podcast for almost four years, The Happy Hour, and now I wrote a book. And so this is my new normal life, I guess, as author. I can now add that to my who am I. <laughs> what a fun what a fun thing, too. Yes, it's been fun. I mean, you, we said this already, but you guys have been down this road. Releasing my first book has been super exciting, um, a lot of fun, and I think no one can really prepare you for also just the vulnerability of, I'm putting myself out there for everyone and their mom to read about. And you know what I love first, you're from Texas. So <laughs> yes. Part, you know, we are up in Keller, Texas. And then Michael is in Springfield, Missouri. So, Hey, when we moved here two years ago, I never realized how crazy fanatic people were about Texas. We're so weird. We are so weird. In fact, we have a, a retreat center that my husband and I own with another couple. It's you can go glamping, which is like sleeping in a nice tent, you know, <laughs> and out there we have the largest Texas flag I've ever seen in my entire life hanging up and people just love it. Cause I think when they come out here out there, they think you Texans, y'all are weird. Y'all do love your state so much. And so I know we're weird, but it's true, but I never learned. I got actually cold on a day in Texas, which is very rare. So I had to go in and buy a sweatshirt. So I thought of all things, I'll buy a UT Longhorn sweatshirt. And I made friends instantly. Yes. 
it was a great way to just get in and make friends. So if you're lonely, go buy a University of Texas sweatshirt. And yes. I know all my OU friends now will be giving me slack on that. But hey, it works here in Texas. I like it. Yeah. But what we're really excited about for today is really to talk about your book. And not only, you know, a book is very much a precious thing because it's your life story. It's, it's God's message and also the vulnerability that goes behind it. And just knowing that this isn't a message that as we look at, if only new, is really about not something you crafted up in the last three months to put together a book, but it's really kind of more your life story. And so tell us kind of how you got there to where you end up in this, because so many people is wanting to know, how can I go from this A, I don't like myself right here, but my desire is to be there but I just don't see it happening. How, you know, a lot of people look at you and go, Jamie, how did you do this? Yeah. You know, this book, if you only knew the title comes from, I felt that way for years and years and years. I felt as if, if people knew certain things about me, they would think less of me. They would think I shouldn't be in ministry. They would think I, my husband got the raw end of the deal here. And so those are all lies and they're all, you know, 2020 vision looking back, they seem kind of dumb to me now because I don't agree with or feel that way anymore most days. But I went through a lot of my years feeling as though I can't open up. I can't be vulnerable. I can't let people into my struggles. I can't let people into my past. I can't tell them about these things. Um, and what happened for me is you know, over a lot of years, you know, you're right. Looking at this book, a lot of it takes place 20 years ago. So I wanted to write this book for years and years and years. And it just finally came out, came in, you know, I was able to do that, but it took a lot of years of me figuring out, you know what, I'm going to trust what God says about me. And I'm going to believe what he says about me more than what anyone thinks about me or what anyone says about me. And the funny thing is Roger is Everything I thought people would think about me wasn't even true anyways. You know, I mean, I was giving, I was putting a lot of weight on what I thought people would think, and I wasn't putting enough weight on what God already says about me. And so that was a journey for me. It was a, it was a, it was an intense journey of me really finding some girlfriends that I, that I trusted and that I loved. And that when I opened up for, to them, it was beautiful because they love God so much and they know how much God loves me. And they also know how much God, how, how he forgives us and makes us new. And so they, they were able to speak that on me. And my experience when I opened up was 100% different than what I thought it was going to be. And so that's kind of the story. And it is very story driven. Um, the book is just about learning those things. And those are the best kind of books is when you put yourself out there that, hey, you know, a lot of people say, hey, were you in my home when I experienced this? Because that's in your book. Yeah. And I just feel like you kind of have that camera. And those are always the best books to read. I feel just in the sense of, you know what, we're doing life together. You're with me in this journey. And I think that's the flavor that comes across. But one of the questions I would just really love to ask you is, you talk about getting there and being vulnerable. You, you put yourself out there where you started sharing with your friends is that takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of guts. It's very scary because you're going to put yourself out there. Can I be rejected? 
And that is something where, because no one likes losing friends. No one likes losing friends at all. And so what gave you the courage to finally sit at a table or at a coffee shop or on the couch and just say to not only probably to your girlfriends, but over the years as your husband, you guys have developed your marriage and your relationship of kind of going into those dark places Mm -hmm. in our hearts is what really gave you that courage to just go, you know what, I'm going to go for it. What, how did you do that? You know, when I started dating my husband, Aaron, I was a new follower of Jesus. Now I grew up in a, in a great home. We went to church every Sunday. Um, I would have said I was a Christian, but there was zero fruit in my life. And so when I say I was a new follower of Jesus, it's like I had said, I'm in, like, I'm following you. I'm giving you everything. And so then I start dating my husband who is a pastor and I had a lot of junk that I brought into the relationship from just a past life of just living for myself. And so I, the first time I ever shared my story was actually with my husband Um, and we were dating. We weren't even engaged, but I knew that if I was going to go any further in this relationship, he needed to know everything because that just, it wouldn't have been fair for me to just kind of, Hey, okay, we're married now. Let me tell you all these things. And so the very first time I opened up um, as a follower of Jesus and shared a lot of hard stuff from my past, um, my husband was the, it was the most human-like example of Christ I've ever experienced. And so that kind of set the stage for me to feel like my husband didn't think less of me. Uh, I mean, at the time he was my boyfriend, you know, he could have bailed. I mean, he, we were not, we were not committed any further than, Hey, we're going out on Friday nights. And so he could have bailed. But he didn't. He was committed and he expressed to me, you know what? That's not who you are. Like God has changed your life and I see very evident. And he didn't know me in my past. And so that was really set the stage. And then over the next couple of years, as we got married, every once in a while, I would tell one girlfriend, you know, and I would always ask God, will you tell me when it's okay to share this? Because I want to have this relationship with these close friends. And I also want to show them, look what God's done in my world. I mean, that's why you tell your story. Not so people can be like, oh my gosh, look at her. But so that you can say, look at God, look what he did. And if he can do this in me, he can do this in you. And then, you know, guys about, we moved to Austin 10 years ago. And about eight years ago, I became a part of a a pretty intense discipleship group. And so about seven of us ladies were thrown into a class and we were together pretty intense that year of studying God's word, um, memorizing scripture, talking about mission. I mean, it was the, it, we, it was a lot of theology. I mean, it was intense. And what that class did for me is I began to truly understand, um, the depravity of man. And I know that's a really big concept, but just that we are all broken and we are all sinners. And before God, we are all the same. Like we're all without Jesus, none of us have any hope. And so I began to understand that and it made me think, okay, so although the things I did in my past, they seem really big and bad and, you know, like work quote unquote worse than my other friends. Actually, I have nothing to be ashamed of because Jesus has forgiven me of those things. And so going through that class with those girlfriends who were for me and they listened to me and not one of them looked at me and went, oh gosh, I cannot believe that you said that out loud. Not one of them ever. That kind of made me feel like, okay, you know what? I'm going to trust God's word. I'm going to believe it. And I have these girlfriends who they love me no matter what I say. And so it was finding those friends. And you said rejection because I know what everyone's thinking. They're like, well, I did that once. And You don't even know someone. I no longer have the friend. They told me I was worthless. They told me that I was no good, whatever you guys, that, that might happen. 
we we all know that because we're all mean people without Jesus. I mean, with Jesus, I make bad choices still, you guys. Thank goodness for his um, grace and forgiveness. But it's worth trying again. It's worth reaching out and becoming vulnerable because when I was vulnerable with them, um, they got to speak into me things that I already know about God's grace and God's forgiveness. Because even though we know those things, goodness gracious, don't we just need to hear them again sometimes, you know? And so that's kind of that journey for me of becoming vulnerable with my friends. And now, I mean, I have a podcast and I wrote a book, so it seems like, oh, she just tells everybody, but it didn't start that way. It started out one relationship at a time. You know, one thing um, that I struggle with, Jamie, is, um, you know, I kind of live my life as an open book and, uh, you know, like I wear my heart on my sleeve and I really don't have any, you know, issue sharing exactly how I'm feeling. And uh, in fact, some of my friends like, whoa, you just went really deep. <laughs> Too <there."> much. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, but really when I look back on that, I think the reason I am that way is because I grew up where safety was a big deal in our home. And uh, my parents, you know, I, I grew up with um, with marriage and family uh, counselors and speakers and authors as, uh, you know, every single one of my family members have written a book. So when I'd come down and say, hey, mom, I'm, I'm kind of hungry for breakfast. She'd go, well, how does that make you feel, though? And so, you know, <laughs> Isn't that a great way to grow up with your kids. Say. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, so, you know, I mean, I so I just have really, you know, no issue. But as I got to college and as I started to engage in some of those deeper relationships, I realized that some of my peers didn't really share the same uh, vulnerability um, that I did and didn't really have any uh, really didn't weren't really weren't comfortable when it came to being able to share their heart. And uh, so what would be a way what's kind of on the flip side of that to where um, where, you know, how you felt in your group? Like what is a um, what is a way that we can do as friends and as uh, family members um, to make people feel that uh, that safety to be able to be authentic and really share what we're going through and what we're feeling? Yeah, I mean, that is we see that all the time. And unfortunately, we see this a lot of churches where people don't feel safe um, bringing their mess to the table. Um, and because we feel I don't know why we feel this way, except for I think something's been told us along the way that you need to have your stuff together. And I'm so glad and I love your mom to death. And um, I'm so it makes me so happy to hear about your home. And I pray to God that, that Aaron and I are doing that with our kids as well. But one of the things I, I talk about is this thing called sin shock or well, I'll even say like struggle shock. And what that is, is when someone comes to you and says something like, let's say you have, you're in college and it's your roommate and they come to you and they say, um, you know what? I am, this is, I am, this is a big deal. I am really struggling with, um, with lying on exams, or I'm really struggling with being dishonest with my professors or a, a husband, and wife, and a wife may come to her girlfriends and say, you guys, I, I am, I'm like fantasizing about another man. And these things sound where our initial reaction, unfortunately, sometimes is like, Ugh, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would do that. And so what that does to that woman, when she confesses to a friend, I feel like I'm fantasizing about this other man and her friend reacts that way. She goes, Oh, this is not safe. I can't say this here. She's not a safe place. I can't do this. So I want people and I speak to women mostly. So I want women to be people who, when that girlfriend does come to you and say that, that you're not shocked because we're all sinners. And let's just be honest, we're all three steps away from the worst thing. And by the grace of God, that's not my struggle, you know? And so I want women to look at that girl who comes and says that to her and not think less of her and not look down on her and not talk down to her because we serve a God who sent his son for all of our 
sins for all of them, every single one of us. And, you know, I see when we look at Jesus in the scripture, he dealt with sin. All the, I mean, he paid for our sin, obviously, but when he was interacting with people, he dealt with people's sin and encountered people's sin all the time. And I just don't ever see him shocked at their sin. I don't ever see him going, wow, I never would have thought you to be stealing money, Matt. Matthew, or I never would have thought you to be an adulterer. Like he just never reacted that way. Now he still called them to repent, um, but he lavished his love and forgiveness on them. And so I feel as though we need to be Christians, people who are following Jesus need to be safe. Um, and I'll give you this example, since you mentioned your parents, Michael, this is one of, you know, I don't mind talking about some of my low moments as parents, if it can help people out. But a couple of years ago, one of my kids had um, an app on their full phone called Musical.ly. Have you heard of this? Okay. So it sounds completely innocent and you make songs with your friends and whatever. But one of the things that you can do on there is you can make songs back and forth with strangers. Okay. So Ding, 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 red flags for all you parents, kids and strangers. No, don't go together. So I was, look, we check our kids' phones. And at this time, my son didn't even have a phone. It was like a tablet. And I was checking his tablet one night like we do. And I noticed on his Musical.ly, he was creating some videos with some quote unquote famous people. Who knows if it was really them or whatever. But the other people, what they were doing in the videos was inappropriate. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, you know, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, throw the phone in the fire. This is the worst thing you've ever seen, but it was inappropriate for a 10 year old boy. Okay. So my, I found this and my reaction was, oh my gosh, what were you thinking? How could you, what are we doing here? And my husband was like flagging me down across the room, like bring it down. Because in that moment I reacted in a way that wasn't safe for my son. And so I get teary eyed thinking about it. And it was a moment where God really spoke to me about, Jamie, if you want your kids to trust you, and if you want your kids to be able to come to you when they have failed, you got to, you can't freak out on them like that. And so hopefully by the grace of God, I don't do that anymore. But I constantly think of that example of my parenting of, man, we do that in the church. And it just makes people feel as though, well, that's one person I can never confess to. And so I want that to be something where we consciously think about how do I react when someone opens up to me? And that is really the key word. What you just said is reaction. Mm -hmm. It's always about, because something will happen and you have a choice how you do want to respond. That's because your son may have done something. And, and, you know, Michael, he's done a lot. (laughs) Thanks for that, dad. We did not probably, I Carrie's phenomenal. I probably don't have the best reaction and we all blow it, but even going through life and how, especially in the church or is just being a friend, that's the big word, especially that I hear so much is I just want that real authentic relationship. I just want to be able to go past that barrier to get to the realness, to know that people accept me for who I am. And would you say, Jamie, as, as you're just, cause you work with, not just thousands, hundred thousand through your podcast and your book, your audience is just growing as you're talking to so many people and you saw the need out there through what God was doing in your heart, transforming your heart, not just for your sake, but really for him. Cause he wants people to hear our story. He wants to hear the love story that he's created with Jamie. He wants to hear the love story with Michael and through your husband, all these different love stories. Cause that's really what it's about is that love story and how much we short circuit 
that love story to really kind of not get what God's wanting to write, but we kind of want to take it over and write it ourselves. And it's never a great story when we decide to rewrite it. And that's really kind of what, as we just look at your story is you decided I'm not going to keep allowing my mind to allowing me to write the rest of my story. But that things happen, things happen, whether you had control or you didn't have control is things will happen, but your reaction to how you responded to that crisis or through the junk is a huge step for people to get really what they want in that authentic, real relationship and that vulnerability with it. So here's two things I'm gonna ask is, one is, is when we look deeper into ourselves, which you really had to do on that and being able to share those things, then here's the second one is now you have a choice. You've exposed it. And just exposing it isn't really going to fix the situation, is it? Mm-mm. As opposed to what steps did you take? Because you mentioned discipleship. And that is a huge part of this transformation. Because I know so many people really do want to know, hey, I got this junk. I got sin written all over me. And I have sin written on my forehead bigger than anyone else. Is But how do I get there from, you know, I'm authentic now. I'm sharing but what really happens to get this transformation where my own quality of life is so much better than what I'm experiencing today? What happens with that? Yeah, you know, I think there is this, like you said, this word, this authentic. Everyone wants authentic relationships. We want to be vulnerable with people. We want to be the real thing. And I am all for that. I am also for vulnerability and authenticity. But I'll tell you what we can't leave out of authenticity and vulnerability, and that is repentance. And so when I came at a specific time in my life when I, you know, experienced something which was this struggle that I had years ago, and it just, it came back about a couple of years ago and I experienced this um, night of struggle and I went to my girlfriend the next day um, and I immediately said, we, we need to talk. Um, I, I need to, I need to confess. I need to, you know, I, I, she doesn't forgive me. God forgives me. Like don't lose that there. And there is confession to God, but there's also confession of bringing it to the light and bringing someone in. And so I go to my friend and I confess. Um, and so there I am, I'm being authentic. I'm being vulnerable. I'm telling Annie, here's what happened. Here's me. I'm just, I'm bearing everything out for you, but it didn't end there. Like that's not where that moment with me and my friend ended, but it kept going where Annie, my girlfriend, she did not make me feel less than for that. She did not make me feel as though, as I was unlovable, but she did lead me and she, we did talk about repentance and confession and then God forgiving us. And I think so many times we think, well, let's just be authentic and vulnerable, but we stop there. And you know, my hope when I'm saying, here's my story, I want to bring you into it because I think stories can change the world just by other people feeling not alone when they hear someone else's story. But I say, here's my story. Here's my authenticity. Here's my vulnerability. But also God's calling us to not sin anymore. He's calling us to not just bear our souls and say, well, here's my struggle and I'm just going to sit in it until I die because grace is abundance. But he's calling us to say, hey, I'm authentic with my friend. And I'm telling you, here's my struggle. And that friend is looking back going, how can I help you fight it? Like, how can I help you fight that struggle? Because we're not going to sit here 
And I'm glad you're vulnerable with me, but that doesn't mean we just get to keep on living in it. And so I think that is a major part that people miss out on is the next part of, okay, God is, God does not want us to continue to sin. He despises it. Um, but he is full of forgiveness and we are friends that we are vulnerable with. God's put them in our life for a reason to help us persevere and help us get to the end. And so that is a key, I think, and that's discipleship as well, you know, bringing people alongside to walk in this journey that can point you back to Jesus every time. You know, I want to go back to what you said about confession, because I totally agree in being able to, because I, I, you know, I believe that there is power in confession. I believe there is power in being able to open up and share with people what we're going through, because once it's out there, it can't, it isn't, it isn't a torture chamber inside of you anymore. It's, uh, you know, you have a support group and you have the uh, ability to be able to, um, you know, to be able to work through some of those issues. And, uh, you know, even I was going through something, um, you know, when I was at home uh, a couple of weeks ago and, um, you know, it was just eating me up inside and, and I shared it with my parents and, and uh, we talked it through together. And, um, you know, but one thing I'm, I'm sure we have some listeners thinking, hey, this is all great, but man, you just have no idea what I'm going through. You know, if only you knew what I'm going through. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's some people thinking, you know, I just, I don't need any of that. You know, I can just, uh, keep doing my thing. And so what is the danger of saying you're of, of locking that part out of your life and saying, you know, I'm not going to go there, this whole vulnerability thing, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, turn this podcast off right now. And, uh, but what is the danger of saying that to yourself? Okay. Don't turn it off yet. Cause I'm about to tell you the danger, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think there's a couple dangers. Number one, you mentioned, you know, you had to, um, bring it out and confession does that because it's not just you that says that. And, but God's word actually says, you know, to bring things out to the light, because here's the deal. And we've all experienced this when there's something that maybe we're struggling with, maybe we've sinned against God in a way and we keep it inside of us. What does it do? It, it feels as though it's suffocating. It's eating you away, especially if you were a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're sinning, I mean, hopefully the Holy Spirit can work in your life and you can come, you know, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you and you are in a sin struggle, that suffocating, that is God doing a work in you of saying, Hey, this needs to lead to repentance. This is, this is a, uh, um, this is a guilt that I'm producing in you, not for you to feel shame, but for you to repent and come back to him. And so I think when we leave it and we don't say anything, it grows in the dark. I mean, it grows in the dark. Satan has a heyday with that in the dark. And you know, so many examples, let's just say, for example, my struggle that I shared with my friend the next morning, um, you know, that struggle that came back that night out of where is this coming from? Why am I struggling with this all of a sudden again? Had I not told her and I didn't have, I, no one would have ever known. My husband was out of town. My, no one would have known. But what would have happened is, you know how easier it would have been to sin again? Because nobody knew you know, but now my friend Annie knows. So she's going to, she's going to check in on me and she's going to ask me and she's going to hold me accountable. And so when we're not confessing, when we're not bringing things to the light, um, within our community, it, it breeds in our hearts. It makes it so much easier to keep doing. Um, and then that guilt is just going to become, it's going to become overbearing because it's not, that guilt is not, it's suffocating and it's not leading us to repentance. So, um, if you feel that suffocating feeling, it's probably because you need to bring someone in on your struggle. Right. And, and repentance, that's a scary word, Jamie. That mm -hmm. is really a scary word. I hated that word from the moment I was born into this world is because it always feels like a parenting thing. When you've asked your kids, you know, you need to ask 
for forgiveness. It was like, I felt like I was losing in a deal. It's like their victory, my loss. And it was never freeing for me. And, but what I really share, because when you're a marriage pastor, you get a lot of opportunities to do this, is really understanding that forgiveness, this repentance, is not for the victory of the other person or for other things, but it's really for me. It's my victory I get to take. It's for me. It's, it's freeing for me. Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's always about me. And it's you're so right. Is when we do that, it's when we don't want to get, it is suffocating. The weight's on our shoulders. It's bringing us down. But when we seek forgiveness and repentance, then that's victory for us. It's not about anything else. And it restores that relationship that we have because God is wanting us to repent, to keep going towards him, not the other direction, as well as restores us in, in a relationship that is so much more lighthearted, lightness of it. And that's that heaviness of it. And so as you're working with just other women and you work with other people is finding out what, what are those barriers that keeps us really from wanting to repent? Yeah. When you were talking earlier about how it's been hard for you, it made me think, and I've never thought this before, but I think sometimes when we come to God and we repent and we say, I'm sorry, and we ask for forgiveness, in a sense, it almost feels as though we, are, we don't have control um, over the situation because we're now asking someone to do something for us. And, um, you know, that can be a hard thing for people to be like, okay, I'm going to give you all the control in this situation. Um, and you have control to forgive me. If I keep this in, then I'm in control of the whole situation. And so I think there's that scary aspect that I've never thought about before until just now. Um, and you know, my husband, if he listens to this, he will, die laughing about what I'm about to say, but I struggle with this more in marriage than any other aspect of my life of saying, I'm sorry to Aaron, which is so funny because it's marriage is also my easiest relationship, if that makes sense. Um, but saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong to Aaron. Oh, he's, if he's listening, he is just like, I know. Yes. So, <laughs> but I think for me, it is like, I'm giving you control. I'm saying I was wrong. You now have control. And so I think that's a barrier. I think also we feel as though I know a lot of people who they have maybe struggled with something in their life or maybe years ago, um, you know, they had this big quote unquote big, cause you know, we're not going to label sins as big and little, but in their brain, it feels like the worst thing you could possibly do. Maybe they had an abortion or maybe they had an affair or maybe whatever, something might've happened so big in their brain and they have confessed and they know that God has forgiven them, but they walk around as if they haven't been forgiven because I think they also feel as though if I'm really love God, then I need to show him how sorry I am for the rest of my life. And so I'm going to walk around and I'm going to live in shame so that he knows I'm really sorry. And that is us again, trying to have control over the situation and not trusting that God says, man, I, your sin is far from the East into the West. And I have forgiven you. And Jesus died for all of your sins. And you actually become a new creation when you are a believer. And so I think control is a big thing. Um, feeling as though we owe God forever. Like we just need to, we need to be sad and full of shame forever so that he knows how truly sorry we really are, um, which is just so far from the, the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Right. And word that you referenced many times when we first started this podcast was grace. 
is understanding grace. And sometimes when so much of, of our junk comes out, we start going, grace just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And that's why it's so hard to get our arms around this word called grace, and especially in relationships with other people, because someone could wrong someone so bad, so hurtful, so painful, and then we seek forgiveness, and it just doesn't seem fair at all that we extend this grace out to them, because really they should pay for that. There should be a consequence to that. And so what? tell us more about this word grace, because you talk so much about this authenticity, this repentance, and then getting into this word of grace, because the reason why I want to ask you this is because so many people now that we're seeing in a generation growing up really without church, there's a generation growing up really without the knowledge of this gospel and knowing that, you know what, doesn't matter what I've done in my past, there really is this tremendous grace which is really the biggest gift we've ever received in life. And um, if you only knew, I don't deserve it, Mm -hmm. is what we walk around. So Mm self-sabotaging our quality of life, but we can significantly increase our quality of life by this word, grace. Help us to really get where we can accept that truth. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's hard um, because we feel as though when you start to think about the grace that God gave us that we didn't deserve, which is our salvation, you know, it's this, we did nothing at all, nothing, like there's nothing that we could do um, to get this favor from him, Um, you know, and it says somewhere probably in like Isaiah or something, one of your listeners will correct me, but it says something about, you know, um, that our, even our good deeds are like filthy rags. And unlike my best day as a mom, my best day as a wife, like when I just feel as though I'm in my A game today, I'm still not good enough to earn God's favor. I'm still not good enough. There's nothing I could do to earn that. And on one hand, to some people, it depends on your personality type. That's super scary because you're like, no, I, I'm like, I get a checklist. I get things done and I'm a good person. So surely on my own and on other people, they're like, this is the best news I've ever heard because I know that my junk is awful, you know? And so, but it's all still the same as that we did nothing to deserve this grace. And so when you talk about like forgiveness of other people, um, it is hard because even us understanding the concept of us getting that grace from God is sometimes hard for our heart to remember and believe. And that's why I think it's so important to have people around you that are going to speak the truth to you. If you're a Christian, you know this thing. You you know that we've been given this free gift of grace. That's not a new message that someone, no one listening that's a follower of Jesus is going to go, well, I never heard that before. You're all going to go, yeah, we know this but we need to be reminded of these things because our flesh and our brain and our heart even are going to lie to us and tell us that we're not deserving. This isn't true. And so to have people speaking into that, you know, and I look around, I remember a couple of years ago, a friend, I wasn't the first, I, it wasn't a confession to me. They had already confessed to their spouse, but they brought to my attention that they had been unfaithful in their marriage. And, um, it was probably about five or six years ago. And it was one of the like hardest moments of my life, but I have watched that marriage flourish in the past six years that I could weep about it. And when you talk about undeserved grace, 
in a, in a marriage is that spouse saying, hey, you actually don't deserve me, our children. You don't deserve anything to be here. But that spouse knew, I don't deserve anything that God's given me. And so if I can accept that from Jesus and from God as that gift that he's given me, then I'm going to do what the Bible says. And I'm going to try to be an imitator of, of God. And that imitator of God says, I'm going to I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to extend grace to you, even though I'm sure they didn't want to. And over time, God has helped heal them. But in that moment, I'm going to guess it was an act of obedience. I could agree with more in that because we, unfortunately, that is something that, that does happen. And as we talk about relationships, we always get to that point of couples, maybe what you just described, and they get into, all right, there's a decision, a reaction I have. And as painful as infidelity is, I still have a choice in that. And we look back into Hosea and we look back into Gomer and that whole choice of, I have a choice. I can persecute that person because of what they did. The betrayal is so great that I can't even think of going in life with this. What would I do? You know, that whole thing. And so that's a big deal. What you just talked about is that. And I think that's really where your book is going to and just really encouraging our listeners and, and be able to get this book. And here's why it is because we all have that story from infidelity to maybe abuse as a child or bad decisions we made in the past is God can use that in our own life. And it doesn't define who we are as a person. And so really quick, Jamie, what are some of those ways that we can start rewriting in our mind who we really are in Jesus? Yeah, you know, I think about um, Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament. And what Paul did before he started following Jesus was persecute people who were following Jesus. And so here's this man who is, you know, foundational as one of the first church leaders. And he wrote so much of the, the, the New Testament. Um, but previous to following Jesus, he was demanding for Christians to be killed. And so I look at his story and I think to myself, you know what? And, and there's a verse in here that says like when um, Paul was, he said, and they knew all my past, they knew everything and they glorified God because of me. And I always think to myself, I remember the first time I read that, I thought they knew everything about him. And they didn't just glorify God for his preaching and they didn't just glorify God for his discipleship. They glorified God because of his whole life. And what that says to me is God is in everything and God can get glory through our stories. Not because I'm saying, Hey, everyone look at Jamie Ivy and look at this, but because I'm saying, man, if God can use someone like me, who's made mistakes, you're in, you're good. He can use you as well because God is the rewriter of stories. And so I, want people to know is that our past, what we've done or haven't done even, it's not a defining moment for us. Like our, the only thing we're defined by the only thing, it doesn't matter if you're married, if you're single, if you are a parent, if you are not a parent, it doesn't matter. None of those things are our final definer, but our final definer is what God says about us. And God says, you are chosen. You are my child. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. I mean, we could go on and on with all the things that he says about us. And at the end of the day, we have to base our life on those things. Um, and so I just want to encourage, man, anyone that is listening and thinks, that's cool, Jamie, but you don't know. You just don't know, you know, um, is that the, the truth is I don't know. We've never met, but God knows. 
you know, and God is in the business of using everyone, everyone, whether you have the quote unquote easiest, most perfect life you've ever seen, or you think, man, I have been through the ringer. God is like, you know what? I'm going to use you to do such good things for the world because people will see me through your story. You know, Jamie, as we, as we wrap up here, I, I, I would love for you to be able, we, one thing we love our guests to do is to uh, pray for our listeners about the topic we've been uh, conversing about. And, um, you know, for that person that's thinking to themselves, man, I, I want in on that, but I just don't really know how to do it. I want to be new and I want to press the refresh button on my life, but I just don't know how to do it. Do you mind to pray for them right now? I would love to. God, I just thank you for, for being a faithful God. Um, you actually can do nothing but be faithful. It is just, it's a part of your character. And so I thank you for that. Um, and I, I pray for anyone that's listening that is not sure if you're going to continue to be faithful to them. God, I pray that you will just speak just like you do into our hearts and into our souls and let them know that you're not going anywhere and that you're faithful to them and that you're going to be there waiting for them whenever they decide, Hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to you. I'm ready to turn my life around that you are there waiting and ready. Just like the parable of the lost son, God, you are that father. You are the father waiting. You are the father running to us. And so I thank you for that. God, I pray for anyone that's listening that is thinking to themselves. um, I just don't know where to go from here. God, I pray that you would bring a safe, trusted friend in their life that loves God so much that they will listen to their story. They will hold it with pure kindness and um, that they will listen and they will not think less of them and that they will point them back to the one who redeems all stories. God, I pray that you would allow someone um, to come into their world that can be trusted and that is safe. And God, I pray for all of us that we would be that person, that we would be a safe place. We would be a landing spot for someone, whether that be um, someone we're discipling, whether that be someone in church, whether that be our children. God, would you let us be places where people can come um, and know that they can confess, they can be vulnerable, they cannot be judged, and they can be pointed back to Jesus. God, would you make us people like that? God, would you make us more like your son, Jesus? That's what we're asking. Um, God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. And that's our show today on The Power of Safety with Jamie Ivey. If you'd like to continue learning more about how to open up with the people in your life or more about creating safe relationships, then you've got to buy Jamie's new book, If You Only Knew. Just log on now to my website, michaelgibson.org, and I have a link where you can find it. If you like the show today, then we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating. We love those five stars and a comment. Your comments really do make the difference in introducing others to the show who are maybe looking for a new podcast to listen to. And if you'd like to keep up with me or maybe ask a question, then head over to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash themichaelgibson. Pretty active on there. It's facebook.com slash themichaelgibson. Our music was composed and produced, as always, by my good friend Rob McLean. You've been listening to Words to Live By.